In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside when he heard that it was Jesus. He began to shout and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, call him here. And they called the blind man and saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Friends, today we proclaim the good news that Jesus actually meets us in reality. God is so real, he most fully meets us right where we really are. Not in oughts or coulda, woulda, shouldas or maybe some days but in the right now. The right here in the all that we have to live in reality. His love invites a reality check. God is so real. He most fully meets us where we really are today. Jesus has been declaring the reality of his lordship. We read an extended text from the gospel today because it's important. These two stories, James and John and Bartimaeus, they go together. And they aren't hanging out in the gospels sort of willy-nilly, uh, just happen to be there, but they're stitched together with these two teachings about the kind of kingship Jesus has. It involves a cross, not a chariot. An execution before the exaltation. Absorbing violence rather than inflicting it. This was unexpected. James and John, they don't get it. <laughs> and neither do the ten. But Bartimaeus does. It's commonly thought that James and John were, were wrong or bad to ask for what they wanted here. In Matthew's gospel, if we would have read that, they get their mom to do it. <laughs> and it's commonly thought that Bartimaeus was right, which is why he gets what he asks for, healing, and follows Jesus on the cross. But I, I want to contend that this isn't the best way to think about this. Both James and John and Bartimaeus asked for what they wanted. And Jesus invited both of them to own and name, what do you want? This is the fundamental discipleship question. The one Jesus returns to again and again. Why? Because what we want, what we desire, is where we really are. Today we proclaim the good news, that Jesus meets us in reality, not in oughts or shoulda, woulda, couldas, or maybe someday. No, right here, right now, in the present. That's all we have to meet God in. He traffics in reality. His love invites a reality check. The good news today is God is so real, he most fully meets you right where you really are today. I was a youth pastor several years ago, um, uh, using that term several liberally. It was almost, uh, almost 15 years ago. 
And we had this group of young uh, guys who were out of high school and um, college-age kids that helped lead these, these kids. And one of the guys' names uh, was uh, Jacob. Not his real name, but Jacob. Jacob lived with his mom. His mom, his dad, he never had a dad. He was a super fun kid. The uh, other junior high kids loved him. But Jacob had um, massive issues. He hadn't graduated high school. He didn't have a job. Um, his mom had remarried. He wasn't respectful to his stepdad. He had all kinds of um, kind of ADD, learning disability problems. But he also wouldn't get his life together. And so uh, he decided to go down to um, a discipleship training school that was going to get his get his act together. Um, by the way, this training school has since been uh, closed, went bankrupt because they were accused of brainwashing <laughs> and like some spiritually abusive um, sort of practices. He spent 10 months at this training school and came back a changed person. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, sir. No, ma'am. Everyone was kind of blown away by how Jacob had changed. Um, and there was this sense of which, oh man, I guess this really worked. This, this, this discipleship training thing really made an impact. Um, but about a month after he came back, things started to unravel. He had some ultimatums at home. He had to find a job and he had to do X, Y, and Z. And he didn't meet the ultimatums and so he got kicked out of his house. He got kicked out of his house. He went to live with the only, uh, the only place that would take him in, his girlfriend's house. So he's sleeping on his girlfriend's couch um, that's what I was told, and uh, still working with the kids. And I, and I called Jacob in to, um, to meet with me because I realized, hey, I, I don't know if I can have a, a youth worker working with our kids who got kicked out of his house and is now living with his girlfriend. Um, so I, I called Jacob in. He's like 45 minutes late to our meeting. He gets there, and I was like, hey, I just want to chat with you about something. And he goes to reach and grab a pen out of his pocket, and he pulls a pen out, and like this pack of cigarettes falls on my desk. Like the, it's like the trifecta Christian no-no, right? Like disrespecting your parents, living with your girlfriend, and smoking cigarettes. It was really clear to me <laughs> that the change that Jacob experienced at this discipleship training school was a short-term, limited, external change. And once that wore off, once that sort of the, the glory of that discipleship training faded, he sort of went back to who he had always been and actually had kind of um, regressed even into a more sort of desperate state. Can anyone relate to this, friends? Being involved in discipleship training, uh, Jesus-centered programs, feeling short-term gains and benefits, maybe some exterior, external modifications and shifts, but your your heart or your your internals and interiors always return to sort of this base me. That's been my experience. I try to meet God in my mind or in my behaviors. And what we see in our scriptures today and what we see in Jesus' practice and the apostles' practice all through the scriptures is that uh, God is actually made it, waiting to meet us right where we really are. Not in aughts. 
not in shoulds or woulds or coulds or maybe some days. Or, man, I wish I could. But right here, right now, God's love in Jesus always invites a, a reality check. Will we reckon with who and where we really are? If we will, we'll meet with God. That's the good news today, friends. Let's look at our text. I want to say there's uh, three issues that inhibit us from meeting God where we really are that we see present in this story today from Mark chapter 10. The first is sometimes we don't know where we really are. (laughs) We simply are unaware of where we really are. I think this is where James and John are. They come to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Talk about presumption. Right? If my kids came to me and said that, I'd be like, there's no way that this is the engagement, the rules of engagement in this conversation. But notice Jesus' response here, friends. He's not like, who do you think you are? Or, are you kidding me? He's like, What do you want? Notice that. Jesus, this is me uh, understanding, Uh, this is my understanding. Jesus is just so stinking relieved that that somebody is going to cut all the baloney out of his engagements with him and is actually going to be real with him. No, hey, let's say I had a wife and she died and then my, you know, I married seven others or... None of this, none of these games. There's just some people with their heart open saying, give me. (laughs) I think Jesus is relieved. But their problem is they don't know where they really are. Jesus keeps trying to help them understand. He keeps telling them about this cross that he's going to, not riding in on a chariot, but on a donkey. They haven't understood the suffering inherent in his lordship. They don't know that, that um, how being in charge or being uh, dominating or controlling or having worldly significance has shaped their own desires and wants. <coughs> Jesus meets them there, though, in their wrong desires to teach, to reform and reshape, and proclaims good news to them right there. Friends, today we proclaim that even if we don't know where we really are, even if we think we're right and we're wrong, we can still own that wrongness with Jesus. You don't have to get your desires right to meet with God. You just have to trust your wrong desire to him. That's how real he is. Not what you ought to want, but what you really do want. That's where God meets you today. The second is sometimes we don't let ourselves be where we really are. We're afraid or ashamed to reckon with it. This is how the crowd treats Bartimaeus. Notice Bartimaeus. He's sitting by the roadside, and he's blind, and he hears that Jesus is going by, and he begins to shout, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And it's very fitting that we have our friends from the Evangelical Eastern Orthodox Church, and here's the Jesus prayer, which is a um, part of your tradition that uh, I have shamelessly appropriated in my own prayer life. It's our tradition, amen? 
But they scold Bartimaeus. Will you shut up? Quiet. Don't bother him. It was presumptuous and shameful for a man of Bart, let's call him Bart, of Bart's stature. He's a blind beggar. He has no status. And he is imposing on Jesus. Jesus had actually um, come to Jericho and were leaving Jericho. It's, it's interesting. Uh, when Jesus leaves Jericho, amazing things happen. Bartimaeus gets to see, right? Zacchaeus comes out of a tree. There's lots of amazing things that happen as he's leaving Jericho. But Jesus leaving Jericho is a signal to Jericho that I'm not going to stay here. I'm just passing through. And uh, I'm not giving any of my honor and any of my uh, power to you. And here's a beggar who is insisting on the mercy of Jesus. The crowds, though, are the voice of shame, aren't they? Don't be where you are. Will you keep it quiet? Keep your needs and wants quiet. Don't share what you really want. This comes out in us, doesn't it? We sometimes get the courage to be real with where we are, and we have to preface it with sort of the preface of shame. I know this sounds bad, but... I shouldn't want this really, but... Shh, don't bother him. It's not appropriate. Bartimaeus, though, is poor in spirit. He mourns. He thirsts for justice. And so he receives the kingdom. He is comforted. He is filled. Today we proclaim, friends, that Jesus is meeting us in reality. And he not only heals our sight, but he declares to shame not true. The God who asks Adam and Eve, where are you, is the same God who calls the blind man to sight, calls him out of darkness into light, calls him from hiding into living in the light. And then third, so sometimes we don't know where we really are. Sometimes we don't let ourselves be where we really are because we know it's not appropriate. And then sometimes, friends, we try to use our Christian faith to fix where we are. This is sort of the secular response. Um, a friend of mine calls this spiritual bypassing. Isn't that a good phrase? Let me, let me explain to you what this means. It's, it's treating Christianity like an opiate for reality rather than a portal into it. So it looks like this. Two ways I've experienced spiritual bypassing in the church. One is sort of the Ned Flanders syndrome. You guys know who Ned Flanders is? The Simpsons, right? Six-pack, mustache. Um, this is one of the ways we spiritually bypass a reality. It's sort of this faked, blessed energy. Right? We speak in cliches. How you doing today, pastor? Better than I deserve. How are you? Well, if I was any better, I'd be dead. We, there's always smiles, no sadness, no bad days. My family's great. 
but I'm pretty humble about it, but it's still great. I was uh, at, a, at a church um, a few years ago listening to a sermon, and uh, this church I had uh, attended frequently because of where we lived and because they were paying me. And, um, <laughs> and um, it, this, was the, this was the tenor of this church. And um, one Sunday, the lead pastor, and he started talking about depression, and I was like, are we're going to do this. We're going to actually name and own the fact that, that uh, mature Christians can be depressed or have anxiety. And I was like excited. And, and he started to talk about depression. Uh, and then his punchline was, but um, sometimes, you know, you just got to praise God. And the next 20 minutes was a pep rally of how to cure your depression with worship. You don't need to be sad. God has given you so much. Cheer up. Spiritual bypassing. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, no matter the fact that you're, you've tried to have kids for years and you're barren, and your children have walked away from the Lord, and you just got diagnosed with cancer, and you have crippling anxiety, and you have that habitual sin you can't overcome. Don't think about that. Think about how good God is. Spiritual bypassing. How are you doing? Better than I deserve. Really? How are you really doing? Spiritual bypassing, the Ned Flanders syndrome, presenting sort of the fake, perfect, blessed energy is one of the ways that we refuse to be where we really are. The other uh, is... Uh, <laughs> I'll call it the rigid Roger. This is the serious Christian. Not Ned Flanders, but like, I'm serious. I sometimes I'm argumentative. And I use my doctrine to fix any disobedience that I have. Um, I, was, uh, I was at a, a, a gathering of pastors and one pastor had come back and he had um, taken, he had gone on a weekend where they discussed this personality profile sort of thing and people were sharing about their experience with this personality profile. And someone began to share about how they discovered their personality um, profile and how profoundly helpful it was to unlock them from some crippling guilt and shame that they're experiencing. And uh, this other pastor began to critique it. And, and they began to disallow this person's spiritual breakthrough. And you watch this person who, who had been sharing this powerful breakthrough, you watch them just say, well, thank you so much for critiquing my spiritual breakthrough. I've, you've con thoroughly convinced me. No. You watch them just pull away, shut down. Withdraw, close up. That's the last time they're sharing in that pastor's meeting. This is, uh, this is the spiritual bypassing that uses uh, uh, pressure and willpower to overcome what's wrong in our lives. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Ask God to take away your anger. Anger is wrong. How can you not forgive your brother? 
Don't you realize how much God has forgiven you? You've infinitely offended an infinitely holy God, infinitely more than this brother's offended you. So forgive. Surely you can forgive. Friends, God wants to meet you in your unforgiveness. He doesn't want you to use your willpower to fix it. Today we proclaim the reality that God is so real, he most fully meets us where we really are. Not where where you ought to be or where you should be or where you could be or where you used to be or where you will be someday, but right here. Even in the things that are wrong and bad, even if you say, I want to sit at your right and your left, Jesus moves closer to you, not farther away. Even if you argue that you weren't the one who had that great idea in the first place, he moves closer to you. He brings you more insight. Even, friends, if you're presuming upon the mercy of God because you're the last person in the world that Jesus would give mercy to and the voices of shame outside and within tell you to shut up, God will meet you right there in reality. So uh, how do we respond to this today? Well, we're going to uh, pray here in a moment, but uh, here's a few ways that I'm learning to trust the God who's present and real to me in reality. I just got back from a week in Yosemite, went backpacking uh, in the backcountry, carrying, you know, 40 pounds on my back, and we did about 60 miles in four days, and uh, it was exhausting and exhilarating. One of the things I like about this is that um, when I get away from emails and cell phones, and even uh, written words I like to read when it's just me and um, God's creation and I'm physically exerting, all this stuff comes up out of my subconscious, out of my body. It's like it unlocks. Um, and one of the things God was talking to me about on the trail was my, the, the terror, the sheer terror I have um, to own and name and face and reckon with how sad I am. And the way he brought it to mind was he was bringing to mind these friendships that I used to have that I was really close to and we've had distance now between us and it breaks my heart. So I'm really heartbroken over it. And I miss these friends. Uh, but um, my strategy to deal with that is to stay away from my sadness rather than meet God in it. So friends, one of the ways I think we learn how to meet God in reality is we recover lament and grief and sadness as worship. Two, uh, learning to own my badness, my wrongness and my sin, rather, uh, rather than hiding it or deflecting it or using Christian words to make it sound better, like struggle or brokenness. Yes, it is those things, but it's more. Uh, and the third, the third is learning to be present to what is. I've got many strategies I've devised to not be present in reality. I, my, I use my mind to sort of travel other places. Uh, and so yesterday, my daughter, who's seven, asked me to make slime with her. This is a thing that... Uh, uh, kids everywhere are doing. It's a craze that's gripped the nation. I have no idea why. 
Um, and, and on my list of a thousand things I wanted to do on my first day back, um, making slime was 1,001. <laughs> and I had this sense when my, when my daughter asked me to make slime with her, I immediately was in touch with, I don't want to. Don't want to make slime. Uh, but but I've, uh, I've had this struggle with my daughter for uh, the last, uh, she, 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 she's seven, so seven years. Um, with my son, I can look at my son in the eye and say, I love you, Deacon. And he says, I love you too, Dad. And I'll say, here's why I love you, Deacon. And he'll say, here's why I love you, Dad. And I'll look at Cece and I'll say, I love you, Cece. And she'll say, okay. <laughs> or I'll say, I love you, Cece. And she'll go, what do you want me to say? And, uh, you know, it kind of breaks your heart a bit. But uh, I've been praying. Just, God, show me how to be with her. And... Um, I was able to name, I don't, I don't want to do slime. I didn't name it with her. I was able to name that with God yesterday. And God immediately revealed, this is an answer to your prayer. Make some slime with your daughter. Be present to her, because that's where I'll meet you. Friends, where is God waiting to meet you today? What part of your reality have you convinced yourself as God forsaken? What strategy do you have to bypass your reality? Is it the presentation of Ned Flanders? Is it the rigid Roger? The good news today, the good news today is that even if your desires are wrong, even if you want Jesus to be Caesar, he'll still meet you in that want. And if all you have is son of David, have mercy on me. He'll meet you there too. Amen?